I was living in a devil town Didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down Welcome to the late night edition of the 5 and 1 uh, Devil's Junkie podcast after Arizona State takes down UCLA 23-20 to in a game that was 3-3 to at halftime. Uh, we just drove back to uh, the Chandler-Tempe area after taking that game in from the press box. Uh, Brett, what do you think? Definitely the most entertaining game that we have seen so far this year from the Sun Devils. It's a game that had a lot of components. If you are a starting quarterback, you definitely did not survive. If you're Tim White, you have a lot to be really, I'm going to say, thankful for. We saw a red shirt get burned. We saw a lot of different aspects that we'll get into tonight. Good game. Good, Definitely a good time to be out there. It was nice to see the defense finally get a win for the Sun Devils this season. Um, after five games of curiosity of will this defense ever step up and I think they did Uh, and it's not just that the defense stepped up but early on in the game you lose Kareem Moore to what looked like a leg injury Uh, and then you know they're having to play defense against Josh Rosen one of the best passers um, in the entire conference potential first round pick next year Mm -hmm. and uh and he you know he kind of quietly threw for about 350 close to 400 yards but at the same time you know they also committed quite a few errors and um and and Arizona State ends up coming out with the win hanging on uh, in the end, they knocked Josh Rosen out more than once. It looked like a, a possible knee injury, also a possible shoulder injury late in the game. Uh, he's not the only one that was taking licks, though. Uh, there there were quite a few players who took some hard hits and had a hard time getting back up, one of which was Brady White, and, and he could potentially be out for an extended period of time. Yeah, that's unfortunate to see. We spoke on the podcast last week of – wow, what would happen if Brady White got knocked out and lo and behold, we did. I honestly didn't think we would see Dylan Sterling Cole even with White getting knocked out. I thought where they were on the field and the time left in the game, albeit very close, I thought they would go with the, whatever you want to call it, the Wildcat, the Sparky, and just simply run plays. He wound up playing a couple plays through an interception, and then they get the ball back, and then they go back to that running back formation. So I was a little bit confused with DSC being in there. And I actually I turned to you in the I'll vouch for you on this. I turned to you in the press box and I said, "He's coming off the field. What do you do?" And you said, "Sparky all the way." Mm-hmm. Put in Kalen Balash because at this point in the game, they're in the red zone. Yep. Up twenty three to twenty. There's around four minutes left, and they have the chance to, to to either get a touchdown and end it, or they could Breaking they could kick a field, field goal. goal yeah, here. yeah. And so they and Zane ends up actually beating the record. Today. He kicks another three field goals mm-hmm. to give him, I think, eighty nine for a career. Probably break a hundred. I mean, incredible performance by him. And we'll get into that later. But, you know, Dylan Sterling Cole actually ends up coming in, hands the ball off once, and then lofts a pass uh, that ends up getting picked off in the end zone. And at that point, especially before you knew Arizona State was going to pull this game off, you leave points on the board and you burn a red shirt, and it was looking like a pretty unwise decision, Chili. You know, I was curious as to why a pass play was even called. I'm wondering uh, where that came from because – 
The way it seemed that we broke Manny Wilkins in was kind of let Manny Wilkins run a couple himself, let his legs get acclimated to the speed of this game. Um, Dylan Sterling Cole didn't even get a chance to warm the game up. He came in when the pressure was at its highest. Um, I, I, I am shocked more at the play calling than the burning of the red shirt. And I asked a couple people. I talked to Hode. I talked to Fabian and a couple people on the field. I wonder if the red shirt was burnt because of the time that was left. There was about six minutes left in the game. Now, if there was two or three minutes left, would he have just gone to that sparky formation? Or would he have just, you know, had uh, Jack Smith burn his red shirt? Who, by what I'm hearing from Fabian, I'm hearing that Jack Smith will be the backup quarterback to Dylan Sterling Cole if White and Wilkins aren't available. Yeah, we joked about it last week, and somebody even pointed it out before the game uh, that, that you know, we had talked about the whole Jack Smith thing. We see him out there throwing passes. <laughs> out there throwing passes in pregame. It turns out that, you know, he's probably going to be the number two going into Colorado. So, I'm curious. Uh, Jack Smith is currently a redshirt safety, right? He, he came in as um, a safety, mm-hmm. And then there was talk of him moving to receiver, and then Todd Graham and a, and a couple other coaches kind of put the kibosh on that. Then I talked to him up in pace, and he said, I am a slot receiver. So Okay, so work with me here. I am just curious. I'm sure we got some other people that are curious, too. If Jack Smith does not play at Colorado, if he's a backup but does not play, does he still keep his red shirt? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Until he sees until he sees the field, okay. Okay. he's so, red shirt. Okay. Yeah, because technically DSC was the – number two quarterback in this right, game. Right, right, okay. And he would have, as long as he didn't step on the field, take a snap, um, he also would have been able to retain his. Uh, so you burn a red shirt on DSC. We had, talk, we had talked about that last week. You don't want to be in a position to burn your fourth strings red shirt the way that U of A did. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, it ends up happening. But in a situation where you get a win, not that he helped you in that scenario, uh, but he's probably going to have to help you next week. So, Let's get into the two quarterback. If it ends up being DSC and Jack Smith, let's get into this a little bit. DSC was an ESPN 300 four star on our competitors uh-huh. website, and a three. He ended his career uh, as a three star on Rivals, um, which some people uh, had had uh, very contentious opinions about. Obviously, the difference between a three a high three star and a low four star isn't much, but you know people are gonna uh, definitely have have opinions to express. I think he went to Westfield High School out in Houston, had a receiver that that helped make him a superstar in Tyree Cleveland, who ended up out at the University of Florida firing BB guns into dorms and getting in trouble out there. Uh, but DSC is is um, he's a legit six four. He's got an NFL body like. Yeah. Like Nikhil as a freshman. Yes, like yeah, like Nikhil is a freshman. You look at this kid and you don't think freshman. That's right. Um, he can run. Mm-hmm. And he can make throws that you would not expect somebody I mean, of his uh, of, of, of his age. Someone just out of high school to be. Yeah, but I, mean, I, guess, I mean, I guess you can make the throws or you can't. He, he didn't tonight. And in that scenario... You expect a kid, a three, four star ESPN three hundred kid, to be able to come in, make a throw, and make a play. But that was just it just didn't look good. No, well, he was he was thrown into the fire. I mean, there was really very little time to think, and sometimes that's good and bad. Where it's like, all right, hey, let me just react. Other times, it's like, wow, look at this situation I'm in. So, 
I don't find his play, albeit just two plays tonight, indicative of his ability. I think next week going into Colorado, as far as I'm concerned, he's got a clean slate. That's when you look at his achievements from high school and why ASU recruited him. And now, yeah, we're on our third quarterback this year of all systems go. This is so bizarre and crazy. Um, the kid runs a four eight forty. Um, he is listed as a pocket passer. I'm just in disbelief that right now we're sitting at five and one, and we're talking about Dylan Sterling Cole being QB one going into going into our that's game a great next phrase. week. That'd be yeah. right. That's that's funny. That's true. Like, this is so crazy. We're talking about. We were talking about to start the season, to go back to podcasts in the summer. We were talking about the argument of Bryce Perkins, Manny Wilkins, and Brady White. Now we are six games into the season, and we are discussing (laughs) Dylan Sterling Cole and a viable option in Jack Smith at Colorado, and we're 5-1. and So we've all seen (laughs) Jack Smith play. This is probably the most, like, you're you're not going to get this anywhere else. We've all had a chance to see Jack Smith play in person. Yep. Yes. God forbid you end up in a situation where a kid that you brought in who is going to play quarterback at UNLV, going to play quarterback at NAU, ultimately uh, ends up, I think maybe New Mexico State had some interest there too, ultimately ends up at ASU as a skill position player. Um, Let's talk about what he brings to the table. I'll throw a couple things out there real quick. A, he is fast. Uh-huh. He is a very, very fast player. Straightaway speed is very, very good. B, he's athletic. Not that you need your quarterback to have a 35-inch vertical, but this is a kid who's barely over six feet right. tall. Yeah, who I don't can, know. We saw Manny Wilkins hit that yeah. low, low Jones. You might need okay, that. Yeah, yeah maybe, vertical. maybe. But this is a kid that can windmill Duncan sandals. Um he he's an accurate passer at the high school level, uh-huh. whatever that means. For whatever it's worth, he threw for uh, over six thousand yards in high school, right? Um, combined from right, Indiana right, right. and combined from where he was, and he had like over sixty touchdowns. So, I mean, he can throw the ball a little bit at least. Um, he had easily over like what was it? I thought you told me before like fifteen hundred yards rushing. So. I mean, we know that we know the kid can run. You told me, Ralph, you see a poor man's Taylor Kelly. A poor man's Taylor Kelly personally gets us at least another two victories if he has to on this season. That would put us a seven. So all we need is Dylan Sterling Cole to ride this out and get us a victory or two. We're looking at a nine-win team. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, hopefully you don't have to... Hopefully you're not looking at Colton right. Gerhardt or Jared Bubach or Jeremy Smith or Kyle Williams because they have a lot of guys Can we who stop play. talking about all these people because you know they're going to they get gonna in the end game. Up playing. <laughs> yeah, I know, just because we mentioned their name. I tell you, for me, I see a coach's son, and that's exactly what he is, and albeit a different sport, but coaches' kids tend to be very smart. And you mix that in, you guys obviously mentioned the athleticism, which of course is certainly there. What impressed me when I saw him quarterback at Mountain Point was just his cadence, his poise, his ability to draw teams offside or the opponent offsides. So I think it's the intangibles 
that I think that are going to guide him if he is thrown into battle, even before the athleticism. So he's already there mentally. It's just if his number is called, you put all that in together, and you get an effective quarterback. And he, honestly, this is a kid that in his mind could probably he, he believes he could go out there and do it. He'll, I think he'd probably, you know, he'd have that five seconds of like, oh, shit, me. Right. But at the same time, like, he's, he is a coach's son. He did grow up around collegiate athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, he did play at Mountain Point surrounded by Big some of town. the best yeah, mm-hmm. athletes in the state. So uh, we've spent a few minutes talking about Jack Smith, who <laughs> wasn't even a quarterback until tonight. Correct. So. Um, but Dylan, Dylan Sterling Cole, is, he is capable. It's going to really be about how they use him. He wasn't Chip Lindsey's recruit. He was Mike Norvell's. And Mike Norvell's last act as an Arizona State coach was to be out on an in-home visit with Dylan Sterling Cole before he ultimately did a phone interview with Memphis, took that job, and kind of left Dylan Sterling Cole in limbo. And Dylan Sterling Cole had the option to go to Houston. He had the option to go to Florida and ultimately chose Arizona State. It looks like we're going to see him next week, but we've been wrong before about these injuries. Obviously, when Kalen Balaj got hurt, I thought mm-hmm. he was done for Yeah, I, I thought yes. they were planning his funeral. So, you know, it's very possible that if Brady White comes back. So let's talk about Brady White. Let's talk about what we liked, didn't like from his play today. I'll put it right out there now. I think that when he is on, like those those deep passes, when they're on the money and those touch passes, I, I just don't think ASU has really had anybody like that. Maybe since Rudy, his freshman year, mm-hmm. um, when they went from, from, from Keller to Carpenter. Um, but, you know, he definitely had some struggles tonight as well. First series, three of four for 28 yards. And then he was on pause, really, the rest of the game. I liked the little mix and run, the pass and run that they had their first series, although it didn't result in points. But then it seemed like he had problems connecting with the receivers. He was not in sync. He was, uh, you're right, when he has that deep ball going, he's solid. But I was not as impressed with him for the length of the game up until when he got knocked out as I thought I would be. He seemed to have a really good connection with his former high school classmate, uh, much older than ever played in varsity together, but Tim White, uh, who ends up getting 11 catches on on the day, well, beat up all game long, dropped a few balls, but at the same time ends up with 11 catches, 123 yards. What did you think of that connection, Chili? You know, uh, it seemed like Tim White had to drop a few early on to get a rhythm going. Um, you know, I the the white to white connection. You know, I, it was cool. Um, after it got going, obviously. Um, I think there's a comfortability thing there that White just doesn't really have right now. Um, I think, you know, it just takes time. Uh, these kids are young. We just, we just had, we've had three freshmen play this season. Mm-hmm. Like, three freshmen. Like, not a freshman and then a senior like UCLA had today. But right, the three freshmen. Sure. Like, it, it takes a minute to get comfortable, and we are breaking them all in. And it makes sense season. for them to go to White because he is the most experienced receiver from that freshman standpoint. I think that our receivers, we should pay some homage to our receivers for being able to go from one freshman to another freshman mm-hmm. to another freshman in the manner that they've had to do this. Because this is absolutely a lot to ask of any receiving core to break in three freshmen in one season 
and at least Manny Wilkins got some tune-up games, but Brady White didn't get a tune-up game. Not at really. all. And Dylan Sterling Cole got thrown in when the game was on the line. Like, you know, shout-out to Nikhil Harry and Tim White and the rest of the receivers. Like, what they're doing is absolutely amazing. Cam Smith's still struggling to fit in, but Nikhil Harry gets a touchdown catch tonight. Yep. Gets, an, uh, like, a 19-yarder like kind of in the back of the end zone. And this is the fifth year in a row that he's catching touchdown passes. We talked about this last week different from QBs. different quarterbacks. I mean, he's caught touchdown passes from Brady White. And not fifth year in a row, fourth year in a row, fifth quarterback. You know, and, and he, he's catching touchdown passes from Brady White, from Manny Wilkins, from Mason Moran, who's at Oregon State before that, Bryce Perkins before that, who's now at ASU, Josh Eckley, who's playing for former – uh, former ASU uh, wide receiver Kerry Taylor out of Phoenix College. You know, th- this is this is a receiver that's had to adjust to a, a bunch of different um, a, a bunch of different styles of of play caller and 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 you know he's he's thriving for the most part. That touchdown ended up being really important, especially in a strange game that is three to three at halftime mm-hmm. with thirteen total punts. Right. <laughs> Again, ASU's not handing the ball off, and maybe you could say that's because UCLA was stacking the box, but I just didn't really see a commitment to the run. And instead of coming out and running the ball on first down, two plays in a row, they end up doing the weird end-around thing where the ball gets you know, hit off somebody's knee and, and, and picked up for a fumble. Then Brady White does a play action like they've ever even tried to hand it off right. to that point of the game. I think there had only been two handoffs to a running back early in the second quarter, and throws an interception. You know, that's back-to-back plays, and I don't think UCLA really came out of that with with any momentum. Uh, ASU's defense was so stout. Um, so it ends up 3-3 three to three at halftime. There's 13 punts. Then all of a sudden, you know, you get about 27 points scored in the third, mm-hmm. and the ball's moving all over the place. Josh Rosen has 350 yards passing, you know, go uh, early in the fourth quarter. His backup's got 50 yards, and, and you're thinking, like, oh, this is going to be a huge explosion. Game ends 23-20, to 20, um, and, and it's just it was a real story of the defense getting penetration, beating up Rosen. What did you guys see from the defense that you liked tonight? I liked it a lot. They finally came together. They they hurt Rosen. I mean, aside from knocking him out twice, he was on his back. He would get up and he would stagger. I mean, he took a lot of hits. Josh Rosen, while I can't say was scared, he was uncomfortable for most of the game. So, I mean, testimony to him, though, because he did pass for that many, but they kept him out of rhythm and that just carried throughout. And Antonio Longino, before the game, tweeted, like, ASU's going to get a win. This quarterback doesn't like getting Hit. doesn't like getting pressured. And, and you know, they had the screens on up in the press box, and it even said, like, strengths and weaknesses for Josh Rosen. Like, he has already had three, well, now 10 300-plus passing yard games, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it also said on the bottom line there, like, doesn't do well under pressure. And this isn't a Clay Helton situation where we're like, yeah, I got pressure, knocked him out. Yeah, no, I hated that. Absolutely Mm -hmm. hated that because you're in a situation where you bring a quarterback you don't know anything about. And if your strength is game planning, you know, how many times have backup quarterbacks come to bite ASU in the ass? You know, you get get a super senior redshirt who originally committed to New Hampshire, hasn't really played much in the five years that he's been at at UCLA comes in and obviously does not look like 
he really belonged out there. But at the same time, you know, you you never really know. You game plan for one guy. You want to be able to contain that one guy. And to me, you know, I I think you want him out on the field. He's dangerous. But at the same time, if you show what you can do to a guy like him, that intimidates uh, other quarterbacks in the conference. Um, so, I mean, uh, what did you see, Chili? What did you see from the defense? That the front you seven, I love what the front seven was doing. Uh, the back four, um, this whole tackling issue of which I've mm-hmm. tried to, you know, turn a blind eye to, and I'm not blind, um, is very, very disturbing. The slipping on the field, um, it's crazy. I, I don't I don't know. They had a lot of problems I, with the slant pass tonight. A I don't lot know. of problems and, with that. And and this isn't a bunch of players like, you know, like no disrespect. I love the kid. This isn't like Chase Lucas who is flipping to a position that he's like never like really played consistently in the last like four years. We're talking about kids that have played in the secondary, were recruited to come here and are it's looking crazy. The the sec the tackling in the secondary is looking absolutely crazy. Right, you had a short, kind of like swing pass, ends up going for sixty six yards. Mm-hmm. They get a field goal out of it, where there were three obvious missed tackles, bad angles taken, oh terrible yeah, angles. Um, <clears throat> somebody's gonna have to break out like the protractors yeah. and stuff to figure this thing out. Um, I, the I, touchdown I, is gonna the touchdown that UCLA got is gonna go on a low light reel as far as just. Angles and tackling and slipping and falling. It is so crazy. I don't. I. I don't even know how to address it. Um, no moisture on the field. I know it's a little bit windy, so you know the fellows are having trouble standing up because I don't know if it's blowing that, guys over. Like, it, I mean, it was a little bit windy. Um, but man, I. I just don't know. You know, for a while I've been trying to you know defend the situation on on the message boards. Please come hit us up devilsdigest.com, You know, subscribe, join the message board. Um, are you doing? Thursday. Are you doing a better job defending the situation on Devil's Digest <laughs> than our defensive backs are doing <laughs> defending receivers? Yeah, you know, I I think I am, and I, I think they got comfortable <laughs> with what I was doing. They're like, oh hey, you know, Chili gonna keep defending us, but like I just can't no more. We're six games in, and you know, you got to understand that we're getting to to a point where at five and one, we are really seriously talking about Pac South, Pac twelve South, South titles. Yeah. Um, which means that we're talking about Pac-12 titles. And on that note, like, yo, this tackling situation has to get resolved. It has to. It'll cause problems against Colorado. It definitely will. They right. got some athletes. Mm-hmm. Bobo is great. Yep. I mean, they, they've definitely got some athletes out there. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, like, um, I'm not trying to demolish anybody on, 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 the, on the podcast, but, like, man, like, the tackling situation, like, it, it really, really does, like, you know, I know, I know, I know. Sometimes the players feel like, oh, the fans are critics that have never had to do this before, or whatever, never done it at this level. No, that's not. The, you know? They're not getting it done. Like, I mean, that's. I mean, it was great to see them as a eleven man unit rise up tonight. Exactly. They got the dub. But as far as that section, the back four, back five, depending on the scenario and the down and distance. Yeah, no, there was some. There was it was shoddy tackling. Our our front seven is getting it done, and man, like our the back four, they they got to get it done more 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 than they are right now. One that stood out seemed to be Marcus Ball. Yep, he squared a couple of guys up tonight. He got an interception. Uh, he he seemed to have a good game. Robbie Robinson got an interception to 
seal the game there at the end. Um, you know, JoJo Wicker got some penetration on the defensive line. A couple line. big sacks. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you had some good things. But Marcus Ball, and I, I bring his name up because before the game started, Chili, Chili looked at me and he said, you know, you judge, you judge a coach by the recruiting class they bring in after their first full year. So we were talking about that 2013 recruiting class, and the truth is it's hard to judge Todd Graham by that because most of those guys are – like gone or in the NFL or they were all JUCO guys. Which isn't bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That says that he picked the right players because yeah. they made it to the next level. Because you're talking about Marcus Hardison, Demarius yeah. Randall, Jalen Strong, and, and, and all of them. And they all played a huge role, Demaria Nelson and everything like that. But as far as guys that are on the roster now that are actually, you know, playing a role from that 2013 class, Chile was right in that they would have a a, a big impact tonight. You know, they might not be what you define this team by because there were so many JUCOs, but the truth is, without Matt Hawk punting, right. which he had to do six times in the first half alone and creating field position issues for UCLA, without Zane Gonzalez hitting three field goals. Uh, and the Brent, game winner, yeah. like I said last week. You, you're right, you did you say. for the game winner. Technically, yeah, the game winner mm-hmm. came a lot earlier really than you mean. might have expected, but he... It was, was the difference. difference. Yeah. His mom tweeted out a picture of a goat during the game, which was definitely awesome. That's hilarious. Uh, but he's at 89 field goals all time, uh, or thereabouts. Could 80, be more, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And and he he's the all-time leader in field goals in NCAA history. Uh, and then the other one is Marcus Ball. And those guys really probably made the biggest difference tonight um, in, in helping get the win. The other thing I want to point out, Stadium was full. It looks good when it's full. Students are on break, uh-huh. and the stadium was full. Uh, it seemed a little bit louder than normal. Do you feel like that had an impact on the game? It probably did. I mean, it's always you always want to play in front of a full house or close to it. You just get that extra bit of energy. It's it's one of the things I like to say. It's an intangible. So yeah, when you're at home on a fall Saturday night, and you've got a packed house, you're gonna bring your A game. So I talked with uh, Spencer Rattler before the game, uh, pinnacle quarterback prospect. Uh, he's a sophomore right now, but um, he's a prospect. And I talked to uh, guy Chip Lindsey came out and gave a hug to yeah, before the game started. And, you know they like him. And I talked to I talked to my boy Big Money Tyler Johnson, and they love the atmosphere. They're like and Spencer especially like his. I was like, yo, so just what do you think of the atmosphere? And his eyes just lit up. He's like, yo, I I, I love this. I love this. That's what you want to hear. And that's what we need. That's what me and Brett have been talking about, um, you know, when, when we were doing the podcast ourselves. Like, we're talking about for a long yes, time. This has true. to work. When, uh, Ralph, when you were pumping up this whole uh, dual inferno thing, the double, double inferno. inferno or whatever, and we, are, are the recruits into that? The answer is yes. They, they, they are. They absolutely are. When, 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 when it's going, it, it's, man, it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, at first, like, I, I was kind of like, you know, yo, man, packed house, d- double inferno, single inferno, whatever, just as long as there's people there. Yo, they love that, like, the, the, the end zones are filled with, you know, the students and the gold and, like, dude, they pointed it out. Like, I just got to say. And it. it's good just in general because I know one of the things that we discussed last year, which was when I say an issue, not so much a big debate, but people leaving early and the stadium not filled – Hasn't really been an issue this year. And I think that, and again, I haven't officially checked attendance numbers, but 
it definitely does not seem like that's a big thing, so to speak. I notice, I, Ralph. I don't know if you guys, Brett. I don't know if you guys notice this. I notice the end zone on the north side. north side empties a little. It does. Bit, it definitely. But does. the end zone on the south stays side till the stays till the end. That, crack, that, and I wonder if they know a lot of recruits are right there. So they well, just, yeah, and that the north side, they got that beer garden behind them, and they got all that place. Space to walk around and everything like that. So, you know, maybe they're wandering around. Maybe they feel a little bit isolated, you know, being over there by the band. But the visiting yeah. section is on the north side. So it's yeah. been a year and a half. It still is kind of strange and foreign to me. Uh, but at the same time, you know, be, being in the press box versus being, in you know, the in the student yeah. section where I used to be, you know, it's... it's it, you don't really notice, you know, what it's like on the field. The players seem to like it. The recruits that, you know, we, t- we talk about like it. And, and some of the recruits that were there, again, you know, uh, Curtis Hodges, there again. He's been there every single home game. Kyle Soley, there again, been there every single home game. Your boy, Corey Stevens. Corey Stevens, there again. Come on, man, Jared Poplowski. Yep, so all the comments. Oh, and shout out to Jack's Waycaser. Jack's Waycaser. You put me on. Let him know. Let him know. Yeah. I'm hyped. I'm hyped. Jack's Waycaser is a guy who just got offers from Virginia and from Vanderbilt. He is a big 6'5 tackle with a frame that could probably hold a lot more weight. He's quick. ASU hasn't offered him yet, but he got a 31 on that ACT, and all of a sudden offers are raining down from the sky. Awesome. Uh, all his teammates are on him all the time saying, just wait, just wait, just wait. So if he gets an offer, he's somebody that, and you know, his dad was a Sun Devil. His dad's saying he just wants his son to run through Tillman Tunnel. So you never really know if this is going to be the year where um, – Todd Graham maybe ignores the whole yeah, – there's a balance. You want to get some high school kids, you want to get some JUCO. Brett, you are all about high, high school. school yeah. You don't you, – if they help, they help. You know, if, if they're bad and they can play. But, but hold on. If, if my choice right now is between a really, really good JUCO player and roll the dice on a Jack's Waycaser – I'm going with Waycaser just because he has a relationship with Stevens and Poplowski. And I think when you build something like that from the ground up and they're able to do it again like for years together, that's something different. I go, I go with the Waycaser situation. And, so, and it seems like that seems to be the strategy this year. They're not going to push as heavy into Juco Good. and try to get 10 or 11 commits like last year or like 2013. It seems like this class, they're going to take a bunch of kids from Arizona. They've never taken more than four before. They have five already wow, formally committed. Okay, that's good. Never taken more than four. We're going to be and at this 10. Is just under Todd Graham. Yeah, it's, you know, it's genuinely possible that they could get 10. Let's say that they get K.J. Jarrell and Tyler Johnson, and they offer Jack's Waycaser, and he decides to stay. And let's say that a guy like Jalen Harris decides, I'm going to go against my dad and Flip or Mike King Johnson. Yo. All these guys that they're after, there's still some other guys that it's it, they could potentially offer that they haven't yet. Uh, there are guys out at Chandler like Johnny Johnson who's I'll committed to UNLV to. who is a Pac-12 level player and I've heard multiple people in the know tell me this. And so, you know, this might be the year where ASU does what a lot of the other schools do and loads up on players from their own state. 2017 is the deepest recruiting year. Arizona's and you said that for at. a long time. Yeah. I, I said 16 was the biggest year I thought 1 to 10. Oh, but absolutely, yeah, and that's fair, that's me, fair. But you told me on the, on, you know, as, as a group, 17 would be the best year of Arizona. Yeah, and in 2007, here's the whole thing. You can say that, you know, like, a, a specific year was the best, like, top 10 or anything like that, but you've never been able to say that this is a good year 35 through 70. 
because there's only really ever been 35 kids going D1 every year from the state of Arizona. Mm-hmm. There's going to be like 70 this year, and so it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Last year in the NFL draft, we saw like five guys get picked in the NFL draft that ASU didn't even offer that were from the state of Arizona, like Blake Martinez and Kyler Fackrell and stuff like that. And obviously, if you roll the dice on some of these kids, it might not work out. Obviously, Arizona State's had issues with their in-state recruiting of guys not panning out like or making bonehead decisions uh, and, and it not working out that way. Um, but this is a team right now where Cody Cole's turned into an effective blocker. Fred Gamage is a senior leader. you know. So you're actually getting some of, some of that Arizona flavor. Nikhil Harry has stepped up. And so, you know, that this might be the year where they just reach out and try to get about 10 guys, and they've already got five. Those guys show up to every single game, and they bring players with them. And that's they, big. That's yeah. huge. It's, it, it, it keeps the buzz going. It keeps the potential pipeline full and deep. It, it's a good thing. And uh, so, you know, we're, we're in a situation right now. We're halfway, the su- halfway through the season, 5-1, and one, headed to Colorado next week. They've got an interesting situation where, you know, we didn't know if Sefo Lufau was even going to play this year. Now he's played in parts of five games. I think they're 4-2. and two. They were competitive with USC. Mm-hmm. They probably should have beat Michigan. They beat Oregon on the road. This is a really, really fun, fascinating yep. team that Todd Graham respects, loves Coach McIntyre, and thinks that you know that, that ASU is more talented than Colorado should blow the doors off them. But Mac's such a good coach that it's going to be competitive. Um, I guess this is the point in the podcast where I ask you guys what you think is going to happen out in Boulder. Road conference game. It's going to be tough. Um, probably a new quarterback, Dylan Sterling Cole. Colorado's right. It, it, they've got their work cut out for them. I'm, my initial thought, and even without going with a score, I'm, usually I tend to make my errors on the lower side. I'm going to go 24-20 Colorado. Okay. Yikes. Um, you know, I think that uh, there's going to be a struggle. Um, I think Zane Gonzalez is going to be good for about 12 points. Because I think we're going to need those. Um, and I think that's key as the season moves forward. Zane Gonzalez is going to play a big role in their success. I think DSC is good for at least one touchdown. And i got to give a touchdown to my running back. So let's see, 12 plus 14 sounds like 26. And then I'm going to give Colorado a healthy 21. So I'm going to take ASU with the five-point victory. And I'll say also just with the, uh, when you mentioned the running backs, at some point, and maybe it becomes this week or the week after, the running game is going to have to take center stage. It wouldn't matter whether it's Wilkins, White, or Dylan Sterling Cole. They have to establish the run. You've mentioned that obviously um, several times over the course of this year. You've got two great backs. You have to feature that part of your offense if you look to be a 10-win, 9-10-win team. Yeah. And, you know, you, you never know what you're going to get with Colorado. Like they said, we have multiple quarterback options out there. Uh, they have a defense that will give up big plays. Um, and and out, you know, out in Colorado, sometimes you're going to get a good crowd, sometimes you're not. I think this is going to be a big crowd game. Um, so I, I'm, But I'm, I'm not going to say this is a game that ends up in the 20s. I'll say that it's a uh, we'll, we'll we'll go 30s. I'll say 38 as of right now, not knowing if Brady White's going to play or not. 
right, right, right. Uh, not knowing who's mm-hmm. going to play quarterback for Colorado. I'll say 38-31 ASU. Uh, maybe this is the game where Gump Hayes finally gets a touchdown. He has two <laughs> interceptions this year that no he's scores. ended up getting get, getting down inside the five-yard line uh, instead of taking the ball into the end zone. I uh, also want to congratulate Robbie Robinson getting his first career interception. Um, that's that's big for that freshman. They seem to have used their freshman wisely, minus the whole DSC thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, if he ends up starting uh, against Colorado, removing his red shirt, it's really not that big of a deal. Correct. I agree. Uh, so uh, that's pretty much it. Does anybody have anything else to add? Well, you said last week that if the Sun Devils got a 100-yard receiver, they would win the game, and indeed they did. So, yes. Yeah, you can go back and check that audio. I'm, I'm, so, I'm, so here's the whole thing. I'm, I was 5-0 and in my predictions going into the UCLA game, and I kind of made fun of myself a little bit and said, I'm going to be real weak on my prediction here. But the <laughs> only way I see ASU winning is if they get a 100-yard receiver. And they did. And, I mean, they barely threw for 100 yards. At right, yes. So, uh, Tim White ends up with 11 catches, 123 yards. ASU gets the 23-20 win, uh, and that's it. Halfway through the season, 5-1, and one, looking like they have the potential, if they can possibly get Manny Wilkins back and healthy and finally get that running game going um, to, to compete for a Pac-12 South, potentially an overall championship. I mean, we'll see. They, uh, they've beaten Washington – uh, several times, I think nine times in a row, uh-huh. and uh, that's going to probably be the biggest test up in Seattle. But right now you have to worry about the upstart Colorado Buffaloes, and uh, I guess that's what we'll be uh, talking about next week. I will be out in Buffalo. Uh, where are you guys going to be? You'll be out in Colorado, in Boulder? Yeah, and you, call said in you said in Buffalo? <laughs> uh, I will not be in Buffalo. If you are in a... Never mind. <laughs> We're taking it to a whole nother level. It's like two in the morning. Right? <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a late night, but it's, uh, but it's for a good cause. I mean, if you're in, in Buffalo, you'll be seeing an entirely different game. Yes. It's going to be the NFL. Okay, yes. anyways. All right, so for the Devil's Junkie Podcast, this has been Ralph Amson. Uh, for Brett Quintine and Chili, we will see you next week. I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town